Hello everyone and welcome. Simon Jacobson here, another episode of Wednesday Night Live. How one moment can change, how one inspiring moment can change your life is the theme of our discussion here. Usually we associate power with uh, sheer size, strength. Now there was a time when um, the strongest army was the one with the most military personnel, with the greatest and largest weapons and arsenal. But as science has increasingly demonstrated, there's far, far more potency in the minute, in the small size, and that far more quality has much more power than quantity. Splitting a microscopic atom creates infinite amount of more energy than the, the greatest powerful weapon. On a personal level, the most powerful forces within our organisms are things that are contained in the smallest and tiniest forms in nature, and they are DNA, cells, chromosomes. Wherever you look, you see today that technology reveals to us that there's power that has nothing to do with what appears to the eye, but lies within, and it's about tapping into the reservoirs and to the resources that lie within the inner part of our beings that are not obvious to the, to the, to the senses. Now, how does this apply to our personal lives? What can we learn from this? How can it help us enhance ourselves and our relationships? Because at the end of the day, we are all impressed with fireworks. We're impressed with externals, with glitz, with sizzle more than with steak. And when we see something that's very loud and something that's very, very large, it has an impact on us. But the fact of the matter is that the strongest forces in life actually don't have all that outer, impressive, projected energy. And this has a tremendous impact on how we look at life and how we look at ourselves, what we value. Very often we will value things that are superficially seem beautiful when beneath the surface they're anything but. And we won't value the quality that lies hidden because it doesn't seem, doesn't look that great. That's what we're here to talk about. And ultimately, as I said, always applying it to our personal lives and our own personal growth. Now, just to show and demonstrate how vital and relevant this is. You know, we live in a world with close to seven and a half billion people, and it's growing, counting. So you could sometimes think of yourself as completely insignificant. One speck, what is one piece of, one, one grain of sand on a beach? It's a grain of sand. There are billions, trillions of such grains. Here it's seven and a half billion, but that's quite a number. So the insignificance and the depersonalization that is such a hallmark of our times. So even though technology on one hand makes life easier, but at the same time also constantly reminds us how we are nobodies. So then you start saying to yourself, one second, what makes someone valuable? What makes someone indispensable? Is it the money that they earn? Is it the looks? Is it some other external force? So this is connects directly to our own identity. And don't wonder that many of us have an identity crisis. What am I supposed to be like? So the appreciation of the power and the potency that we carry that is not necessarily obvious 
to the naked eye, not necessarily on the surface level, has tremendous message to us in our own personal value and the personal things that we do. Let's take now the actions that we do. What can one act already do? One small act, one small gesture. What can one second achieve in the scheme of things? So all these elements, all these questions, all focus on the same idea, that if it's so small and so tiny and so minute, at one second, one moment, one corner, one person, how much can it really accomplish? So understanding the power that lies in these details is, affects literally everything that we do, because above all, it gives you the value, true value of what something really acts. What is life? One life is inestimable. William Blake's famous poem, opening of his famous poem, where he says, to see a world in a grain of sand, a heaven, a heaven in a flower, to hold infinity in the palm of your hand and eternity in an hour. So though he coined in such powerful short words an unbelievable message, however, the theme is essentially one that spiritual mystics and frankly romantics and poets (coughs) and authors and dreamers and thinkers always aspire to, that our small, seemingly seemingly trivial existence can contain in it literally infinity and eternity in an hour, in a moment. However, he did not give us the tools how to do so. It's nice to say it. But the fact of the matter is, if you look at any form of inspiration in your life, for anyone's life, any what we'll call a magical moment, no magical moment happened necessarily over a long period of time. It begins at one moment. Something happens. Sometimes it needs to build up to it. There needs to be a a follow-up. But if you think about it, there's a moment that could change a life. And there's so many stories that capture this. I'm sure you have in your personal life. That moment, a moment something happened, that moment becomes forever. It's frozen forever because at that moment something shifted. Now we wish we could have many such moments. They don't come, they're far and in between. Because then we go back to our routines and our regular so-called pedestrian, monotonous life. And then every moment becomes a, just a boredom. Becomes another thing you're counting down. You can't wait till time moves on. But imagine you were able to tap into the energy, just like we talked about splitting the atom. Imagine you could tap into the eternal energy into the moment. The eternity within the hour. The infinity in your hand. The world in a grain of sand. The he- a heaven and a flower, then everything changes because they're no longer measured by how big it is, how loud it is, what it seems like. It's measured by what it really contains, true value. You see this especially, my famous and my most popular analogy for always is with children. What do children really need, a young child? Just that love, that gaze, that you care. Now you think you're just a small little person, small, uh, insignificant person, but that one gaze, that one loving gesture from a mother or father to a child changes a child's life. Now it's very acute and very pronounced in in the case of a child because a child is a very impressionable, vulnerable creature. So what you give to it, or God forbid, what you deprive it of has immediate impact. We adults are a little more callous so the small details don't matter that much. It's like, think of it like a piece of dust on your eyeball as opposed to a piece of dust on your finger. 
on your finger, it's insignificant. On your eyeball, because it's so sensitive, it makes a big difference. It's like the Jewish relativity theory. The Jewish theory of relativity, besides Einstein's. And that is, three hairs on your head isn't much, but three hairs in the soup? So it's all context. It's all... Um, the context between where, where, what you're discussing, when something is extremely vulnerable, extremely fragile, extremely, I would say, even more tender or sensitive, every little thing make, makes a difference. How, do natural per, how are natural pearls formed? An oyster gets a piece of dust in its very, very tender and sensitive underbelly. It's so irritating, so the oyster secretes a fluid, a creamy-like fluid, that hardens around the dust and protects its tender skin, its tender belly, its tender insides from the dust. And that becomes a pearl. So a pearl is essentially, basically a secretion of an oyster in order to protect from a piece of dust. Tiny, minute, microscopic, but it turns into a pearl. And we value these pearls. Precious pearls. You look at all magical moments, you look at all great power you'll always trace it to these short, small, microscopic, because you realize that size does not matter. It is quality. And if we're able to adapt such an attitude to our lives and our actions, and then, of course, to the actions of others, that's where the change takes place. And it's absolutely possible to do, but it needs, as always, to pay attention. You're not going to see a heaven and a flower if you don't look at the flower closely. If you're rushing and moving on, you're not going to hear the, the soft song, the soft strings of a violin, because it will be drowned out in the rush hour and the noise all around. We need to pay attention. We need to focus and we need to create space to be able to appreciate the true beauty within life. And this fast-paced society, we're always busy, busy, busy. Even though we have a lot of free time, we're still always busy, busy. This busyness actually undermines our ability to come to appreciate these moments. These special moments between person to person, friend to friend, parent to child, brother to sibling to sibling, and so on. So the first tip to go there is to recognize and need, you need that patience. You need to look at it. Take it in. Take in the, the smells. Take in the sounds. Take in the songs. So how does one concentrate, when one concentrates, how does one find these powers? So I began with examples from that microscopic world. You could say the same examples within our own internal organisms, the cellular structure and so on. Today is becoming more increasingly easy to relate to the invisible because we see its power all the time. Just look at your mobile phone, what kind of potency it carries. A small little phone. Once upon a time, you would have needed blocks and blocks of computers to compute that type of data that we can now do within, we can have it in our, in our palms. So we have to look around us, and technology itself, and of course nature, are the best teachers, because it teaches us about this power that exists even in the small matters. Once we focus on that, we have to then act on it. Acting on understanding the value of one act, of one move. And in every given situation, the tide that changes... The great powers, of, the great powerful oceans always begins with one drop somewhere. Every great journey begins with one step. 
And then we have to look for those steps within our lives and within the lives of others, the appreciation. So it's not just waiting for a magical moment to happen to you, but it's actually generating and initiating magical moments, knowing that each moment carries that type of power. Time is energy. Time is energy. The Zohar, the classic work of Kabbalistic, the Kabbalistic classic work of Kabbalistic works, <laughs> the classic Kabbalistic text, mystical text, the Zohar, talks about each day having its own energy. Energy, it, it, it's packaged in the context of time, a 24-hour period that begins here and ends here. But within that period lies a tremendous amount of energy. The question is, do we tap into this energy? Or the day just passes, either wasted or not. When you live up, you use, you utilize, and you use time for a productive purpose, you know what happens? You tap into that energy and you release it. When you waste time, the time dies. It passes on. You move on to the next moment in time, and that moment forever will never be returned. Should you use it for a good purpose, to do something, a kind favor to someone, to write something nice, a gesture, an act, whatever it may be, that moment becomes frozen. Why is it frozen? Because the energy lives on forever. If I say something to you that helps you in your life, I may have said it this moment, but the moment lives on forever because the message, the inspiration, the effect on you lives on. But it's no longer that moment when it was said. However, that moment was now tapped into you, took that energy and turned it into something that can live on even to eternity. So ask yourself the question, how many such activities, how many such words, how many such involvements and commitments do you have on a daily basis? Moments that become eternal. And the goal is to grow that number. Simple as simple as that. To find every day at least three, four, five opportunities. I would say even more, but let's begin with that. Opportunities where it's a moment, it's a short interaction, doesn't need to be long, but that moment is complete. It's fulfilled. You've tapped into the full energy of the moment. What that means, example, you're sitting with someone and they're sharing with you their life a bit or they're asking advice or they need some support. But you're busy with your texting. And you keep saying, I'm sorry, I apologize, it's not whatever. What's happening? What's happening is you're these moments that you're with this person, these sacred, precious moments, both for you and that person, Instead of using it and focus and being able to actually fulfill and live up to a need here to help somebody, you're busy doing something else. It may be important things, but it's not focus. It's scattered energy. You know the power of laser energy. It can be much less energy, but because it's all concentrated in one place, it can pierce walls. It can pierce all resistance. Take that same energy and just scatter it, then it's all over. It may bring some light, but it cannot pierce. It cannot infiltrate, it cannot pierce through a piece, a piece of matter even. That's the same idea. When you're with someone, you know, turn it, instead of being casual, superficial, and like only giving them 5% attention, maybe give 85% attention, maybe 95%, maybe 100%. That's an example. Obviously, case by case, not every time someone comes to you and they say to you, you know, where's the water cooler, or how do I get to this in this place? Not every interaction, you, the truth is every interaction you can change into eternal. But not every interaction will you be able to, will you be able to have that same type of presence of mind or vigilance and so on. But everyone can be expected to turn a few th- things a day from the fleeting, from the 
short-lived into something more t- permanent and something more eternal. That's by using that moment in a focused and concentrated way. <clears throat> and not with forcing it, but actually realizing that, you know something? This person has come to me. What can I do for them? And there are hundreds of such examples that we can have in every interaction, whether it's with our coworkers, whether it's with family members, whether it's with siblings, whether it's with strangers on a commute. Every situation can be turned into something greater when you realize that it's all energy waiting to be released. The atoms of this world in existence were here from the beginning of time. No one knew it. They may have speculated, they may have guessed, they may have even had known in certain ways, but then it became something that became common. And not only that, we learned to manipulate it. We learned it through nuclear fission or fusion, fusion or fission, that we can actually extract and release that enormous energy through different methods, heating, speeding up, some way or the, of getting particles that have ability to break other particles apart. We learned to tap into something that was invisible, inaccessible for so how long. The same is with everything. Think of water power. Think of wind power. So a small wind doesn't seem like much water, but when we know, when we build it up, and we know how to tap into it and concentrate it, it creates tremendous amount of power. What about our own interactions? How powerful are we? Most people think of themselves not too powerful. You don't want powerful people. You go to the moguls, you go to the celebrities, to the superstars, to the super wealthy. No, you have power that is unimaginable. It doesn't necessarily translate into money, possessions, or things that are measurable, even. It's that your soul has tremendous power. You have the ability to love like no other. You have the ability to give love, to receive love. But we have to learn to appreciate those moments or those items, I will call them, and recognize what, what they are, for, for what they really are. Tremendous reservoirs of power. Every moment and every corner of space. And then when you recognize it, you begin to tap into it. I was trained to think in terms that everything is a spiritual opportunity. You meet somebody, share something that's more than just the moment. What do you have? What you have for breakfast? What's the weather like? Who won the game? Who lost the game? Talk about something that has some deeper meaning. What is the point? It's not just that it makes life more meaningful. It actually taps into these forces that remain dormant and like unawake, and you wake them up. You ignite them, like sparks. Exactly the analogy used by the Kabbalists. Hidden divine sparks. What's a spark? Sparks on their own are just sparks. You don't see any fire. You don't see any light. It's a spark. But that spark has tremendous intensity. When you free that spark, what the Kabbalists call birur hanetsutsis, clarifying and then elevating and separating that spark, recognizing the spark within everything. We just read... Um, we read in the chapter, it says, not on bread alone does man live, but on what? On the word of God. On the spark of God that exists in the food. When you think about it, everything has a divine spark. Everything has a spiritual spark. But like sparks, they're not large flames or torches. They are small, minute little things, sparks. But when you elicit a spark, a spark can spark and ignite large fires. And the quality of a spark is the beginning of every great flame. 
So when you speak with someone, and you realize they have a spark within them, and you have a spark within you, and those two sparks meet, there's an ignition, a something happens. In a way, a revolution has been created. It may be small in number, small in quantity, but something has shifted. If you have that attitude in every interaction, then you begin to think of everything as sparks. Am I igniting the spark? Is it coming alive, the spark? And we all want to have that. The more we have that in our lives, the more richer, the richer our lives, the more meaningful, the more purposeful, the more gratifying and fulfilling. So it's a way of looking at, at the world. Are we going to look at the external surface level, which is measured primarily by size, by weight, by volume? Or are we going to look for the sparks within? And a spark doesn't weigh much. How much does a spark weigh? I don't even know if you can weigh a spark. But a spark is what gives a life. If you think of the human body, the body is measurable in size. Five feet tall, six feet tall. This and this amount of pounds. These are the features. These are the size of different organs or limbs. But then you say, okay, what do you have when you have all those statistics? You have a body. And someone who's never seen a life will say, well, what do we know from this? We know that a body is made up of parts that are measurable and quantifiable. But someone will say, what's life? I want to know what life is like. Life? Life has a spark within it. Take all those items. We'll give you the whole package, the container called the body. But without a spark, you don't have life. You just have a body, a dead, lifeless body. The spark is what's called the soul, the flame within Ne'er Hashem Nishma Sodom, the flame of God, is the soul of a human being, the flame, the spark. And then what changes? Everything changes. From a corpse becomes a life. From a, a lifeless body that just may be perfect in, in looks and so on, what we call comes alive. And life isn't just an a, uh, electricity running through. The whole body comes alive. Every part, from the, from the head to the toes. Everything is alive. And the container called the body must become simply a channel, a transparent channel to seamlessly allow the soul to flow through it. Where is the spark? The spark is not measurable. How much does the soul weigh? How, what's, what, what's its height? What does it look like? You cannot define a soul in those terms because those terms are terms that apply to physical measurements. But you could define the soul as being tremendously powerful. So when so, so, someone says something soulful to you, or you hear a soulful piece of music, you're more, you're, it's more than just hearing sounds. You are hearing a message. You're hearing a resonating message that touches you. That resonating message is qualitative, not quantitative. It also has some quantity. It could have a certain length and so on. But it's the message, and the message that causes you to laugh, causes you to cry, is not about how long the message is. It's how much it's pierced, how much it's affected you and impacted you. So think of the last time that something really touched you in that way. You'll have yourself right there an example of a moment that became eternal. An inspiring moment that has now become something that, can, that has been life-changing. The same thing with space. The same thing with every detail of our lives. You have then, you have then an attitude that life is not what the surface seems to suggest, but it's like the ocean beneath the, like the life beneath the, the ocean cover, which shows you there's a whole, a whole pulsating, a whole vibrant life systems at work. In Hebrew, the word for nature, hateva, is, is the gematria, the same number as elokim. 
Paratev also has a meaning. It means to be submerged. What is submerged? The spark. The divine spark is submerged in a body. And all you see is the body. You see the surface of the ocean. Tava biyam, like it's, like it's and, and the energy that's within the ocean, you don't see. If we didn't have cameras and we never went scuba diving, we didn't know what was beneath the, the surface. We know there's a few fish here and there, a few whales. We never know the ecosystem, the whole complex system, which is even more complex of earth, of, of land, that lies, beneath, that lies beneath the surface. The same is with each one of us and the same is with the cosmos. That within the outer dimensions lie tremendous layer, deeper layers of forces and energies. And we can tap into it, but you have to recognize it. And you recognize it by f- recognizing and acknowledging and then freeing and redeeming the sparks. And we do that, we can do that all the time through the meals we eat, the, f- the foods and we eat and the, and the drinks we drink. Even in our sleep, even at work, wherever you're doing, you can find those inner sparks and that are minute in quantity, but infinite in quality. And that is the concept that the Kabbalists, the Kabbalists and Hasidic thought talk about the light and the, and the containers, the energy and the containers. The container is the container, like the body. It's necessary, it grounds it, it gives it shape and definition, but the energy is what the key. I could say the same words and there's no passion in it. There's no soul in my words. So it's words, I may even be saying the right words, but it's lacking the soul. And the soul is not quantifiable quite the same way. So when you think of it from a soul perspective, look through the lens of the soul, then small things can be the largest. And large things can be the smallest. One of the, the great Rabbi Shnei Zam of the Adi, the called Alter Rebbe, said, what well, he said, Hasidus does this, but his point was, that he teach, came to teach how the, the small, that uh, the Kleinikite from the Gres to Greskite, meaning the greatest, this, how small is the greatest of greatest things, and how great is the smallest and smallest of things. And it's a tremendous lesson because we're so often distracted and so often seduced by the things that are very, you know, very, very big and noisy and, and seem exciting. And we can then often lose sight and even, and even forget and even lose an opportunity of meeting the person we should be meeting because we're not looking at the soul. Now, of course, we want to have soul and body, but body without a soul is called unfortunately a corpse, not alive. How many of our lives are functioning that way, where we're just going through the motions, surviving, paying our bills? It's a life. It's what's called in the Talmud, that wicked people, even in their lifetimes, they're called dead. What does that mean? That wicked people here referring to people who are materialistic. They're busy living the life on the pin of the needle, on the surface level. What we call the clip of the surface level is the shell on the husk level, and they think that's life. The truth is, they're missing the fruit inside. Imagine worshipping an orange peel and forgetting there's an orange inside. That's the context that in a superficial world like ours, with the great symptom that Darizal explains of concealment, we come to realize that beneath it, within there's a fruit. Are you seeing this fruit? Are you trained to see it? And this fruit is everywhere, these fruits. In every interaction, in every experience, at work, at home, at play, at travel, everywhere. That's looking for the sparks. And that's what creates something that lasts and changes life forever. And it's not that difficult to do, my friends. It requires, as I said, paying attention. The next time you have an interaction, 
Don't just be flippant about it and move on. Look to see how you can improve a situation, how to make it a little better, how to eliminate an impediment or a block. Say a kind word. Now some of us, this comes naturally and we just do it. But some of us, we need to make an effort. And your effort is directly impacts what the results will be. Because it's your projection that really creates your results. So with that, we come back to the idea of the greatness of even the small things. What I said in the beginning about the idea that even a moment, and specifically a moment, can change your life. Infinity in the palm of your hand. Eternity in an hour. So taking that into consideration, it's essentially looking at the same world, and you can look at it with two different ways. Either you're going to look at it with the eyes of the quantity eyes, the quantitative eyes, or the qualitative eyes. The qualitative eyes will always look for those opportunities. And that's a choice we have at all times. Which one are we going to choose? The short-term gains versus the long-term results? The short instant gratification? Or are we going to apply our minds and our hearts to building something greater than we are? That's really what it comes down to. So it's not just about being positive. It's not just about um, looking for inspiration. It's about realizing the power of the detail, <clears throat> how that can change your course of your life and the course of everyone around you. It can actually shape destiny. But that requires that attitude. It's not going to happen quickly. It's not going to happen just because you want it. Sometimes grace will be good to you and God will be good to you and it'll come an opportunity and you really can make a difference. But sometimes we have to look for these opportunities or make ourselves available. Of the different stories that you hear, for example, when it comes to this type of idea, how one moment changed people's lives, you hear many, many stories how someone said something at the right time, at the right moment. I'm sure it may have happened to you. It's happened to me many times. Someone said, that moment you said something resonated with me. I don't think I ever shared it with you. It's always welcoming to share these things because it's very gratifying as well as seeing the fruit of your own labor. But many of us are not merit. We don't always merit to see the impact, the positive impact of our actions in our lives. So it's definitely a good exercise to acknowledge that with humility and look for ways to see how something you've done had such an impact. Or vice versa, how it's had an impact on you. I remember seeing recently a, a video about gratitude. Lately, gratitude is in the news Gratitude, the power, the healing powers of gratitude. And they actually took people, it was like a select group, um, a focus group, and they were going to, and they, and they, and they from people on the entire spectrum, people who are very happy, as they were, people who are less happy, all the way to despondent people. And the exercise was to get them all to write down a memory of something they remember that they are thankful for. Someone said something to them, someone did something for them, Okay, not a difficult exercise. Some people wrote down. Now, this person, where are they in their, their life? Maybe a spouse, maybe a relative, maybe a stranger. We want to now reach out to them. Oh, no, no, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Step two, now that you've identified, write a letter of gratitude. A thank you letter. Short thank you letter, thanking them for this and this that they've done for you. So the people write it. And already you can start seeing differences in their mood change. How this focus, instead of focusing on me, 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 what do I need, what am I not getting, focusing on acknowledging and thanking with gratitude those that have given you something is itself already healing. But then they take it a step further. 
we're now going to call and reach out to that person. Some people, 20 years they hadn't seen them, 30 years. Some are closer, like family members. And that's what they do. They get on the phone and they call these people. And they say, you know, this is so-and-so. I want to just thank you for something that you did a long time ago. And read the letter that you have written for them. You have to see the results. It's, it's amazing. It's amazing. First of all, the reaction of the people is like, they never thought they're going to hear again from this person. But the reaction on these individuals, literally, the people who are most despondent and depressed, physically speak about a different attitude. Their gratitude that they showed and that they first remembered and then showed and demonstrated had a direct impact. What is going on here? What's going on is they're not focusing on me, 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 and what do I need, and so on. You're focusing on what you can do for somebody. And there, it's not about quantity. It's not how much you do. It's how you, that you're doing something. You're tapping into your own inner microscopic atomic energy, subatomic, and as well as someone else's. That's what love does. What is love? How much does love weigh? How large is love? Unquantifiable. But we all know, when, know it when we see it. We all know its impact, its validation, its nurturing, the warmth, the companionship, everything that love brings, the passion. And I'm talking about all forms of love. So love is, again, one of these forces that are not loud. They're not, they're not in size or in sheer measure. They don't have much weight. They have any weight. And yet they can change lives. One loving moment, one loving gesture. You know, how a person did something for someone, a favor, they repaid the favor, or they did them a favor when a moment of need. Things change lives, change lives literally. And I mean, there are many such inspiring stories. I have to think of a few that come to mind, but I think the point is well taken. And I believe I tried to cover it to the best of my ability. But I want to add a few more points about this idea. From a mystical or greater point of view, there's an expression we say in the prayers of the High Holidays where we're speaking and thinking, thanking God for his blessings. But there's an expression, Hashava omash v'katan v'gadl. The one who equalizes the small and the big. Basically stating that God is neither small nor big and is as close to the small as he is to the big. Think of infinity, whether it's a trillion or one unit, they're equal. What it means on a deeper level, it means that, there are, that the idea of the differences between us is really almost super, it's real, but it's not necessarily the essence of who we are. So with that said, what do we come away with? What do we come away with? We come away with understanding that the concept of quantity is really a very surface and very superficial and non-realistic, I can't say it doesn't exist, but it's not where what lies at the heart of everything. The equalizer of everything, good and small, tells you, small and large, tells you there's something that's beyond small and beyond large. And this is, for example, love. When you love somebody, there's nothing too small and there's nothing too large. It's equal. A small gesture, even a trivial matter, can be expressing love as much as the biggest thing that you're doing for the person you love. And the same thing, a big thing doesn't necessarily mean big. Obviously, there are bigger, greater prices we pay. There are bigger jobs and bigger obligations than others. But there's a qualitative equality going on. Same thing with loving your children. Do you love one more than the other? 
my grandmother, who had nine children, my mother was the oldest, once asked, was asked by a journalist, so how do you, for nine children, how do you, this was in the late 50s or the 60s, how do you uh, spread your love? Nine children, that means you have to break it into nine parts. So my grandmother said to her, you probably were never a mother, right? Correct. Well, it doesn't work that way. Love is not a bunch of pieces. The pie is that big, so you only have one smaller piece if you're going to have more people to give the pie to. Love, she compared it to the sunlight. Sunlight reflects in, a one, in one drop of water. This entire sun reflects just as it reflects in the Pacific Ocean. You hear this? One drop of water. What's one drop compared to the ocean? But in that one drop, phased the right way, it reflects the entire sun, just like the, the surface of the ocean does. That's an example of a shava mashvikot vagot. Doesn't matter the size, the quality. So therefore, I don't need to spread my love. If yes, if I only had, if it was food, physical objects, you could, nine children, you have to break it into nine parts. Comes to love, you don't have to break it into anything. You give each child love, and their way love encompasses everything. So that one light, one, one drop of water, one child reflects all of the love of the mother or father for that matter. It's simple truth, but it's so powerful by recognizing that value. And you see this again with things, gestures, people who love each other. A small gesture makes a big difference to someone else is meaningless. It's like the dust on the eyeball here in the positive way. A small gesture makes a difference because I love you. That same small gesture to someone that doesn't love you or doesn't care is not going to have necessarily the impact. Now someone may say, what happens if it's a one-way street, you love someone that way, they don't love you back? Well, that gets already into another discussion on reciprocity and relationships and so on. But often, words from the heart enter the heart. The face of one, just like water reflects a face, love, the heart of one person reflects another heart. Like I said, with the, with the, and that heart is not a quantity thing. It's not, oh, a large thing. It's even a drop of water because it's qualitative. So we have examples for this galore where we take something, a small matter, and we can turn it into something that is unbelievably powerful if it's reflecting something greater. Here, the one drop of water. What, how could you compare it to the entire Pacific Ocean or Atlantic Ocean for that matter? And yet the water qualitatively reflects just like in our eyes reflects visuals that maybe someone hasn't seen, but you've seen it. And it's not a matter of how much you've earned your way. That definitely helps. But once you've had that experience, you become peace of infinity. So in a way, you can say that all our lives, we have the two options before us. As we read the chapter of the Torah this week, Behold, I present to you today two paths, this path is the path of life, and this is the path of opposite of life. Every moment of our lives, we have two paths. Are you going to live in the moment and, and not tap into its deeper forces, forces, instant gratification, whatever makes me comfortable, or are you going to tap into the eternal and infinite power that lies in your, in your experiences? And that is something that's completely up to us every moment. I assure you, choose the latter. Choose life. Choose the opportunity to find those sparks in everything. It will change your life. Not even question. Not necessarily overnight. It can take time, a process. But quicker than you may think. Why? Because it's coming from that qualitative place. 
If I were to say to you, do things that are on a mechanical level, just be mechanically good, that also has value. Behavioral, behavioral, a behavioral approach affects ultimately a person who a person is as well. But it's not quite the same way. Then when a person does something that has that inner sense of it. So this is the Shava Mashvakatamagal, the equalizer. Equalizes it all because he's beyond it all. And because he's beyond it all, therefore he can manifest in all situations and not say, here are the elitists, here are the people I identify with, here not. There's nothing too small. Everything has its place and everything has its time. Everything. There's no such thing as trivial. Now, in the scheme of things, sometimes in, in a process, this is more important than another, but not in the big scheme of things. One, God forbid, mutation in, among 75 trillion cells can wreak havoc. Because it's not a quantity thing. It's a quality thing. Both in the positive and the negative. We should only hear of good things. But that's the story of the detail. That's the story how an inspiring moment can change your life. And you don't have to wait for it to happen. Initiate it. You inspire and you'll see it'll change your own life. Because what it does is it takes, it gets you out of the comfort zone, out of the status quo of who you are, and start thinking about what you're able to do, what you're capable of. Everyone is capable of something more than what appears to the naked eye. And the only way to go there is to think that way. It's thinking ahead, thinking larger, thinking on a horizon level instead of on the survival level. And each one of us has that ability to do so. So, how one inspiring moment can change your life. I want to share with you one or two moments like that that happened in my life. And often, I mean, I had so many different scenarios, I'll just talk about one or two that were actually very um, painful in a way, but they ultimately create a tremendous, I would say, life-defining moment. I remember I was once giving a class. It was in Manhattan on 81st Street and West End. And I was talking about unconditional love. You know, unconditional love that's not based on any conditions and any expectations. You love because you love. Not like the guy that told me once, if I asked him if he has unconditional love for his wife, he said to me, yeah, if she does this, that, and that, and other, I have unconditional love. Not, not, not even recognizing his own conditions that he's making for that unconditional love. So unconditional love. While I was speaking, I remember it was a large class, maybe 80, 90 people, right to my right, someone was sitting there, and began to mutter quietly. So, you know, people do that, fine. But then he got louder. He started speaking loudly to the point that the whole class could hear him. And what was he saying? He was saying, yeah, unconditional love. It's the only way you get that is with your dogs, with your dog. Because humans you can never trust. And he was like literally almost foaming at the mouth. It like started getting louder, very passionate. Clearly, he had issues with this, issue, with this matter. And as he kept on going, it got louder. and was really like disturbing the class and not letting me speak. Not that I, I completely understood where he was and I wasn't pushing, but someone says to him, can you already shut up or something like that? A woman, I remember, she was, he was sitting here. She was sitting further back on the other side. And I remember he looked at her with these eyes like this, he says. You're, oh, she says, a dog, loving a dog. The rabbi speaking about human love. What do you stop with your dogs? I remember he looked at her with his dirty look and said, you're so shallow. I remember thinking about that. And people looked to me, what am I going to do? So while he was muttering and mumbling, I, I, I probably stopped. 
But people were looking, I knew it was an opportunity if you were a stand-up comic to make fun of the guy. He clearly had many challenges. But you know something? I will tell you the story that affected me, that caused me, I don't know if that story is what caused me to behave, to do what I did, but it definitely was a factor. So I said to him, very, very calmly, I said, you know, today we're talking about uh, human love. Canine love will be the topic of another class. He said, oh, I understand, Rabbi, perfectly, perfectly. You know, I diffused it by just simply not mocking him, not dismissing him, simply saying, we're talking about human love today, fine. Not over. I, before I go home, after the class, a woman comes over to me, a woman that's been coming to the several years of the classes. She gives me a note, a folded note, which I don't read till I get home. I get home, I open the note, and she writes the following. I've been to many of your classes. I've been coming weekly on an ongoing basis to your Wednesday night class in Manhattan. I've learned many, many things from you over the last few years. But tonight, I learned the greatest lesson of all. How you treated this man with dignity. When you clearly had a captive audience who would have, you could have got a laugh or two. Or you could have been dismissive. And the dignity you offered him, that taught me more than everything you've taught. I share it not to toot my horn on the contrary. I was so moved by this. And it reminded me of flashback that my early part of my career, if you can call this a career, in the early days of teaching classes, back in the maybe late 80s, mid 80s, I remember a fellow who was coming to the classes, and one day he wants to meet with me privately. So fine, I said, come to my office. He met with me in my office. And he shared with me the following words. He says, I learned love from a dog. I remember hearing that from him. I wasn't sure what he meant. So I was quiet. And I was like listening. But as more he told, I said, this is like crazy. And I was, I thought I wasn't so naive. But I was a naive kid, kid, in my mid-20s, late-20s, trying to do my best. And I didn't, what's he talking about? What am I missing here? And he tells me. He said to me, my father was a raving alcohol, a raging alcoholic. He would get drunk, he'd come home almost every night. He was physical. And he would sometimes lunge at my mother and ready to, like, you know, he had a, a, a chain or a baseball bat, a baseball bat. And he was like crazy. So I would, as the oldest boy, I would get in between him and my mother, my father and my mother, and he would beat me instead. And I was sometimes so bruised, so much black and blue all over my body, aching. I didn't want to sleep at home. I didn't feel safe. So I went out to the garden. We had a garden, we had a dog. And I slept near the doghouse. And the dog consoled me all night. That's where I learned love. Not from my crazy father. My alcoholic, abusive father. Now, I said to myself, I remember thinking, is this guy exaggerating? Is this? But I remember I was not really familiar. I, I not, like, it's not in my world. I never had heard such level of abuse that a father with a baseball bat it was insane to me. But I never forgot the story either. And I remember starting to look into it. And I said, you know what? There are people like this. These are moments, but they changed my life. Because people shared a sacred confidence, which no question was embedded inside of me. So when I was hearing this person speak about a dog, I'm not saying I conjured up that memory, but it was a sensitivity that I learned from people completely different than I am. People who have experiences that were not out of the pale of my own experience. But I learned the tremendous insights into the human spirit and its suffering, but also its joys. These are definitive moments. I never forget these moments. And they affect my life all the time because I deal with people. 
I speak to people, people share all kinds of things. And it's having no judgment, no judgment. No comment, no critique. That doesn't mean there isn't sometimes something to talk about, to fix, to repair. But it's an attitude that is driven by compassion, driven by sensitivity. And it doesn't matter how big this person is, how small they are. This small moment becomes frozen in time. And that note that the woman wrote, wrote to me forever is etched in my memory. That it's not so much what you say, it's what you do. It's not so much the brilliance, it's the sensitivity. People don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. Is that a quantity thing? How much you know can be a lot. You're brilliant, you have a, you're book smart, you have encyclopedic mind. That's quantity. Care, you can't measure. Care doesn't come from a book. You can't say how many pages did you read about care. Care is a gesture. It's a feeling. You feel the empathy. You feel that someone's there with you. They care about you. There's concern. There's empathy. There's compassion. Sensitivity. And all the other words that come along with it. These are magical moments. Yes, they are. And when you find people that validate you in that way, they can change your life. They create trust. They engender a relationship that's based on mutual give and take. As I said, trust and other things like that. Are these measurables? Trust. No, trust is a qualitative thing. It's not even how much you do. You know that that person is there for you no matter what. So it's very small in number, in volume, in quantity, but tremendously large in quality. And you go through your life, and everything that you do, you find these type of moments. And the key is to be very cognizant, very deliberate in seeking out such moments, in seeking out such opportunities. Yes, in turning, turning a grain of sand into a world, seeing a world in a grain of sand. And yes, a heaven in a flower. And yes, infinity in the palm of your hand. And yes, eternity in an hour. That in everything you do, there is that eternal power, that infinite power, the heaven, the earth, things that are far beyond our own scope. But we discover them through, our, through that lens. And you see this time and again. And I remember seeing a video, a very interesting video, where there was a blind man sitting on the ground with a cup and says, I'm blind, please help me. And people threw some money in the cup. A woman walks by and uh, she reads the sign and she walks away, then she comes back, she takes the sign, rewrites something on the sign. And the next thing you know, the sign is there and this person is getting 10 times as much in his little tin cup. Until the end of the video and you read what you changed the sign from writing I'm blind, please help me. She wrote, isn't today a beautiful day? And I cannot see it. That touched people. It wasn't just the compassion for a blind person. They suddenly realized the gift of seeing. And he doesn't have the gift. Again, the small things. How many things that go on in our lives that we are completely unaware of, blind to? The gestures. I mean, the breath we take. That things are working in a healthy way. We complain when things are not good, but how often do we appreciate when things are good? The goodness, the blessings in our lives. These are, again, small things, but they change your entire attitude because when you count your blessings, count, when you acknowledge your blessings, it makes you feel gratified that you've been honored and humbled to be able to receive these gifts. These are small things, 
but they change the entire attitude. But instead of a person saying, me, 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 take, 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 it's always feeding off of others. Of course a person like that will never be satisfied because he doesn't understand the value of a simple act of a thank you, of a gratitude. It's a sense of entitlement with an overblown ego, an overblown personality who thinks he deserves it all. The humble gesture of gratitude is appreciating the detail. Seeing a little child, caring, even though you have big things to accomplish. But you know what? This child needs me right now. This situation demands some of my time. And, and willingly and joyfully doing it without even any airs. This, my friends, is the way we turn a moment into eternity. A moment of inspiration to change your life, to change the world, to change the cosmos. And you can begin immediately. Every day, find, I would say, five things that you do. doesn't matter with whom, where you're t- taking a temporary and impermanent and making it in some way permanent. Now, will everyone always be receptive equally? It depends. But if you have good friends, they will be receptive. And with that, I want to conclude and say, I began, this class began in 1982. So we're talking about 36 years. And it was just a small class. One person, two people came in the beginning, another person. But I was persistent. Like the drops of the water. They ultimately bear a hole through the stone. It was persistence. It wasn't how many, how many hours. It was the persistence continuously doing something step by step by step. These things have tremendous power. The kvias itim, designating time. Better five minutes a day, which adds up to 35 minutes a week, than five hours a week. Even though five hours is more than 35 minutes, but it's the 35 minutes of quality that matters. The laser energy can achieve with one stream of light more than large, larger bodies of light that are scattered. And the same with all the other examples that I've shared or that you can add to the equation here. To understand, yes, that we can create eternity in an hour. That one moment, one second, one corner of our lives, done right, focused not on you, but on helping others, changes the universe. And with that, let me bid everyone a very meaningful week finding meaning even in the smallest matters. And please see us as a resource. Share, like, email us, comment, and let's get the word out there. And with that, I also want to conclude in a few days, literally this coming Shabbos, this Saturday, begins the 60-day journey called, the, the, the book I wrote, 60 Days, A Spiritual Guide to the High Holidays, a fascinating, exhilarating journey through your own psyche. And that helps you use the high holidays as a tool to invigorate your own personal spiritual growth. And we send out a daily email. We also have, of course, the book is available. And some of the social media outlets will also be probably doing a daily audio. I'll give you more details as we go. You can subscribe to it on our special WhatsApp group. A daily audio message with an exercise each day. Short and sweet. So with that, may everyone have a very powerful journey beginning this weekend. A journey of Elul, that month of compassion, when the king is in the field, the ability to achieve the greatest and the most, even with the smallest of the small. Thank you very much, and everyone have a very blessed week. Be well.